doing what you say you're going to do and on time is the best thing that you can do as an investor. So when you're working with an agent, you tell them exactly what you're looking for, right? Time yep. is money for them. They work on commission. So if you say you're going to buy something at this criteria, they work so hard to bring it to you and you don't take action or you don't respond in two days because work got busy, then you're not ready to be an investor. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 258 of the Real Estate Rundown. You're going to want to tune into this episode because I got Bo Kim coming in with us live and he's going to be talking about his love of real estate and how he invested in house hacking. And for those of you old guys like me, you're going to want to know what house hacking is if you don't know already. We used to call it just over broke, but he's got a different way of looking at it. And he's created over 63 units in a very short period of time all over the Midwest. In this episode, he's going to talk with us about how to invest out of state. He's going to talk to us about how to raise private capital. And he's also going to let us know how to properly leverage other people's time, knowledge and money. So if you're looking to learn about more creative ways to grow your income and continue to work full time, then you're going to want to stay tuned and see what Bo Kim's got to say in our next episode of the Real Estate Rundown. Check it out. Welcome to the RobNet Real Estate Rundown podcast, where Shannon RobNet has handpicked industry experts to discuss all aspects of investing in the real estate world and seeks to help all real estate investors improve their education and their proven strategies to grow their real estate journeys. Now, here's your host. Hey guys, welcome back. 258 is going on right now. Today, my guest is Bo Kim. Bo, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Shannon. Really excited to be here. You know, I'm glad you decided to join us on the Real Estate Rundown because uh, as most of us old guys uh, know, you millennials are coming up with these crazy great terms that we never had when we were when we were growing up, right? You, 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 part of your bio is that you are a Southern California based investor that has been working in the accounting industry, but you started doing BRRRRs and you started doing house hacking. And so we're super excited to hear your story. Teach us how you got into this BRRRR and what it is and also what house hacking is because I never knew it growing up. So we're super excited, Bo. Introduce yourself to my audience here at the Real Estate Rundown just a bit. Uh, help them understand who, who you are. Yeah. So thank you for that introduction, Shannon. As uh, Shannon mentioned, my name is Bo. I am a real estate investor based out in Southern California. I've been investing in real estate for the past five years. And I started out by house hacking, uh, which basically means that I've rented out part of my house, which I had three bedroom, three bath, and I didn't need to use all the bedrooms. And I rented it out to other people. And I made some good cash flow. And it essentially reduced my mortgage to the levels that I was paying for my one bedroom apartment. And that just, you know, had a light bulb in me. And I wanted to invest in real estate. You know, fast forward to today. Now I own 64 rental units in Kansas City, Indianapolis, and Little Rock, Arkansas. And I manage that all remotely through the use of contractors, third-party property managers, and real estate brokers that allow me to free up my time and continue to work my W-2 job and continue to build my real estate portfolio. 
You know, it's funny, Bo, when, when I was uh, right out of high school, I got my first house too, and I had a couple of roommates. We didn't call it house hacking. I called one of my roommates sewer water and trash because that's what he paid for. And I called the other one, sometimes I'd like to eat because that was how that happened, right? So, uh, but, but house hacking sounds a lot better. I mean, that's a much better term and people identify with that. But you also mentioned in your in your bio here that I've had a chance to read and, and talk with you a little bit offline about is seller financing and BRRR. Explain to me what those are and how you've used those to build your now 64 unit portfolio. Yeah, so starting with the Burr method, it's actually coined by Brandon Turner at Bigger Pockets. And you know, some people might just call it a, a cash out refi. You know, after you buy a distressed property, you add value to it by rehabbing it, you build up the equity, forced depreciation, and then you turn around after it's seasoned and you extract that equity. And if you do it right, you know, if you buy a property with equity in it, then you'll be able to recycle your initial investment over and over and over again. So what essentially BRRRR stands for is buy, renovate, rent, refinance, and repeat. And this was perfect for guys like me. Um, so my wife and I, I'm an accountant. My wife's a graphic designer. So we both work white collar jobs and make decent amount of money. But, you know, for those of you who are living in sunny Southern California, as Shannon and I talked about, we pay a lot of taxes. You know, we basically pay to breathe down over here and we wanted to have another source of income. But we also have limited funds. You know, if you keep on dropping 20% on a rental property sooner or later, unless you have a rich uncle, you're going to run out of money. But this Burr method where we build equity uh, by just trading our time, like our sweat equity for it, you're going to be able to scale up relatively quickly. So that was the method that we decided to use and coupled that, you know, it can run in parallel because you could do the Burr method alongside the seller finance. So it's just where the seller becomes the bank. Um, I've done subject to loans. I've also done subject uh, seller finance to where I only have to bring 5% down payment. So it's much less than the 20 traditional 20, 25% for two to four units. And then you can negotiate the terms. The amortization does not need to be 30 years for conventional anymore. Now you can do 35, 40 year amortization because it's just a negotiation between you and the seller. Um, so there's a little bit more into it, which I can get into later down the show. But yeah, using different creative financing methods, I no longer had to wait till I get you know 20% of a house uh, to go ahead and continue to buy and scale my portfolio. And you know, that's gotta fit in very well with, with your background in accounting. I mean, you're able to see how you can leverage your money uh, and, and by, by owning real estate, even if it is on a seller finance, you're still able to depreciate the asset. You're still able to take full tax advantage of everything that the uh, IRS code allows you to without actually having to come into title and incur all of those expenses uh, that happen with a mortgage and the points and the loan origination and the appraisals and all those other things that come in that are one-time expenses that they, they work for write-offs, but it's also cash that you no longer have access to, right? Because it did, it did transact and it did happen. So with those, those things, I mean, how is it that you did the Burr method or did you do the Burr method out of state? Yeah, I definitely did the Burr method out of state. Uh, I didn't start off that way. So if I were to rewind the clock just a little bit after I successfully house hacked. So just to throw some numbers out there, I was paying about 
for my one bed apartment uh, here in Southern California, and it's 700 square feet. Very, very expensive, right? But, you know, relative to some of the other apartments that were going for $24, $2,500 a month, I thought I was actually doing a great job from a financial perspective by saving money. Well, after I did that for about a year and a half, this was when my wife and I first got married. Uh, she and I were avid savers, so we're able to save at least 30, 40% of our income a year. So we really are wow. good savers. Yeah. And she and I talked about it as like, hey, we have all this money saved up and we're able to put 5% down on a, on a primary residence for a conventional loan. Let's just go ahead and buy a house. And this was back in 2016. So we went ahead and bought a townhouse, three bedroom, three bath, and the mortgage, including HOA, PITI, uh, in, like all of that um, came out to be $2,700. Well, I rented out just one of the rooms for $800. And that basically reduced my mortgage level down to my apartment r right about the same amount. But it didn't take into account the principal pay down, which was roughly about $500. And it didn't take into account the added tax benefits now that I can do itemized deductions instead of a standard deduction. So actually, it was even better than my previous situation. So that light bulb moment just hit me when my wife and I were, you know, in snorkeling in the outskirts of Hawaii. And it was like September 1st. I still remember the day. You know, I get an ACH notification saying, hey, $800 has hit your account. And I was like, I need more of this. But I also knew that in Southern California, I couldn't go out and buy these $500,000 homes without house hacking and expect to make a cash flow profit. And I also didn't want to be a landlord in California with all these crazy landlord tenant laws. Like I went to enough RIA meetings to know some of the landlords that were very, you know, hurting, you know, some of the tenants will file uh, that have filed an eviction, will file bankruptcy and boom, now they're stuck in there for another six to eight months. Right. So I just started researching and I came across a webinar from bigger pockets. You know, they just dominate the real estate internet space. And I attended a 90 day challenge to buy your first rental property. And that got me really fired up. And I started researching the Midwest markets. I trimmed down about 15 Metro markets in the Midwest Southeast, where there was good rent to value ratio. And there was enough inventory and different vendors that I could work with because that was important. I wasn't expecting to, you know, fly over there and manage my rental properties myself. I wanted to build a team. So I couldn't find a tertiary market where there's like one wholesaler, one contractor and one property manager. I didn't want them to be my single point of failure. So I looked at slightly bigger markets like Indianapolis, Kansas City, where there's good, healthy competition and there's enough people that I can leverage to build my real estate portfolio. So once I found those three markets, I started waking up at five o'clock in the morning, starting making calls because it's perfect. It's before my work time and they're in the Eastern time zone or central time zone. Right. So they're already up and running. So I talked to them as like, hey, how can I build my portfolio? And I first started off with turnkey. So for the real estate rundown listeners that might not know what a turnkey is, it's basically a rent ready property. So once you get the keys, you just turn the key. And ideally in a perfect world, everything should be ready to go. Yeah. Well, yeah, I started uh, talking to a lot of people. I took about a month or two to really analyze the property, crunch some numbers where my accounting background really helped. And then I ultimately bought a property in Kansas City. Now, I bought 
four more of those because I, I told you my wife and I, we, we like to save and we had about $100,000 uh, to deploy. So we were able to buy four properties. Roughly, they were worth about $100,000 each and we put 20% down each time. Sure. And then, you know, we ran into a problem, Shannon. We ran out of money. And my wife <laughs> and I... For people to like to save and, and always know that there's money in the savings account, that must have been a weird feeling. All the money's gone, honey. Mm -hmm. Somebody took the money. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, you know, all the money was gone. But what my wife and I knew that this was a really awesome way to generate passive income because the checks have been flowing in. Uh, we were making about two to three hundred dollars net per property. And I know some people online might say, oh, I'm making $800 per property, $1,000 per property. But this is me after all expenses as well as reserves. So I, I, I saved guys. This is coming from an accountant. So he's already broken it down. He's got it all in nice little categories. He's got the receipts stapled together and labeled. These are the guys that are saying they're making 800 bucks. They don't have it put away like Bo does, right? So I just need to point that out because it was, it was also very apparent, your accounting background, when you're talking about breaking down markets and taking things apart and how well you did that. Most people look at it and go, oh, look, houses available. Let's go buy some, right? But you were able to do that through your systemized thinking that is very prevalent with most accountants, right? Most accountants aren't ADHD type people. They like it to be just so, and, and that's apparent. But I think that you also bring up a very, very valid point with that is that you have to have, you have to have all of your expenses accounted for before you really go talking about profit, right? And, and that's a really great thing to be pointing out. Yeah, for sure. Because, you know, I, I thought I was doing something wrong when I was like, hey, I run the numbers and I'm getting two to 300 net per month, which is awesome. In my opinion, it was about, you know, anywhere from 10 to 14% cash on cash. Right. But, and this is before all the tax benefits and yeah. principal pay down all that. But some people were saying, hey, I'm making 800, 1000 bucks on the on the forums. And I was like, hey, what, what's going on here? Like, am I doing something wrong? But it was because, you know, they either didn't account for reserves or they were buying properties in like D-class areas where they buy it for $30,000 and they're able to rent it for seven, 800. And it's definitely doable, like 2% rent to value ratio, but it's a much bigger risk than I was willing to take on at the time. So just wanted to put that in perspective for your listeners, um, yeah. why I decided to go for that type you of property. Know, and, and Bo, that brings up another great point. You know, real estate is such a wide genre. There's so many different facets that you can go. And it's really about getting comfortable with what you do, right? I know people that invest in mobile homes, right? I'm not comfortable with that. You're not comfortable with that. I know people that invest in Indiana like you. They're both comfortable with that. I, I, I got to be able to touch it, right? There's so many different things that people are comfortable with. And that's the beauty of real estate down to whether you're buying and selling notes, whether you're going buying tax liens. I mean, there's so many things you can do. And so you made a really great point there to get what you're comfortable with and 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 systematize that and knock the snot out of it and keep doing it again and again and again and make it ring, make it ring the cash register. Yep, exactly. So, you know, going back to my turnkey, so I bought those four and I ran out of money, but my wife and I wanted to do more of these. So we knew about the Burr method slightly. So I decided to, you know, research, do what I do best. I read a ton of books, listened to a ton of podcasts, just like yours, Shannon, as well as talk to other investors. And this was key. A couple investors who are a couple steps ahead of me, and I'm not talking about like the Grant Cardones of the world who have thousands of units and are, are doing maybe like a different asset class. 
I found somebody in the San Francisco Bay Area. I've never met the dude. I found him on Facebook because he made a post on Bigger Pockets. He had 28 units in Indianapolis and he was doing the burn method. So I hit him up on Facebook Messenger. I still remember this. This was Christmas Eve and I can't believe he responded to me. I felt so bad later. And we talked for two hours on Facebook Messenger. And he and I just jived in terms of our mindset, you know, our family values and the way that we approach real estate investing. And he just provided me a lot of guidance and he connected me to some of his contractors in Indianapolis that agreed to take me on as a client. So for me, I reduced a lot of the risk that first comes along with doing your own renovation, doing your own purchases and your own valuation. Because when you buy turnkey, it's already a made product. So you eliminate a lot of that risk. Like you already know that they had to have bought at the right price to put the right rehab for it to appraise at the right value. You have all those contingencies. And if none of those work, like inspection doesn't work, appraisal contingency doesn't work, you just back out of the deal. When you're doing the burn method, you don't have any of that, right? And that's that's a key point there too, because you, you when you buy in Turkey, and, and this is the one thing that I, I see a lot of investors do, they go way to the deep end of the pool when they don't even know how to swim, right? And, and they take on this project where they did buy one of those D-class for $30,000 and they got they realized that, that a match would have been a better way to handle the house than to rehab it, right, and, and just start over. And yet you were, I, I think it's really important to point out how you got comfortable with that. First, you bought one that was done and you know that, hey, I got to be able to be done for a hundred grand because look at what I bought and I could go buy one from John. I don't have to ask what John paid for it. I don't have to ask what the cabinets cost. I don't have to ask where he got this vinyl from. It's all in. I just need to take advantage of paying the price. So at the end of the day, now that you've got that under your belt, you're now realizing that you can go in and take one more step. And now you're going to go buy it and you're going to see if you can do what John did. But because you're Bo and Bo wants to do it harder, you thought John can do this from Indianapolis. I'm going to do it from California just to prove that the level of difficulty went up and I can handle it. Right. <laughs> exactly. Right. right? Yeah. Exactly what you did. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it, it was not all smooth sailing right from the beginning. Right. There's different. De definitely you know, kinks to iron out when you're first starting a renovation. I mean, Shannon, you have 25 years of experience. So, you know, like it's, it's not always smooth sailing. But uh, I can tell you, I only did one remodel. Mm. I only did one. That was enough to cure me. That is not my bag. That is not something I, I like. Uh, I bought a house for $5,000 and I moved it and I added a basement to it because it had a root cellar and I remodeled the whole thing. And I hated every single day of it. I, I couldn't handle it. So I never did another one. So yes, you are correct. I learned very quickly. Yeah. And for me, I really started enjoying this thing because it was just a matter of finding efficiency. And this is where I get into leveraging other people's knowledge, time, and money. Now, a lot of people talk about leveraging other people's money, whether it be through you know syndications, pooling people's money to for a bigger cause and being able to leverage that, or private lending, you know, having somebody be a debt financier. But not a lot of people talk about other people's knowledge and time. And that I think is equally important because what I did with that mentor of mine who had 28 units, I definitely not uh, leveraged his knowledge. So all of the things that he's learned through renovating 28 units, which is a lot of good experience, he shared all of that information with me. So I had that in my back pocket without having to go through the same mess. 
it's like I, I'm not starting from unit number one. I'm starting from unit 29, essentially, because I was able to leverage that. And also leveraging other people's time. Now, this might seem obvious, but I wasn't going to go swing a hammer from Southern California all the way to Indy. So I built a team of a good contractor, uh, an agent, broker, property manager, as well as a lender on the back end. And that's going to be important as well when you're doing the Burr method. So with this team in place, I just really focused on a win-win situation. I want to make sure every time I call one of these guys, they pick up the phone because they know they're going to make money with me. And my agent knew that because I had the cash ready. I wasn't a tire kicker. I wasn't going to waste his time sending him to houses and kind of get cold feet when I'm about to put in an offer or my offer gets accepted. And then same thing with my contractor. The thing with the contractors is, for, from my experience, you definitely don't want a nickel and dime. And I think that's a lot of kind of foul, like issues that a lot of out-of-state investors fall into. They're like, hey, can you please give me an itemized statement of work, which is important, I would say. A lot of contractors hesitate to give you a detailed itemized scope of work because at that point, then you start to go shopping and maybe this contractor has one line of item that's slightly more expensive than another line item. And you're like, hey, give me that price. And you start like nitpicking one line by one line item. And I would hate that if I was a contractor. You know, you're so right. It's like if somebody came to you and said, hey, listen, I want you to fill out my my K-1s, but you're too expensive to do the taxes. So I'm going to have somebody else do the taxes. And we we deal with that a lot in the, in the construction business where people look at it and they go, well, but this guy can do it for less. But are we comparing the same quality? Are we comparing the same timeliness? Do we have the same warranty? All of those things. And, and I couldn't agree with you more. If you're trying to, and this is where I think a lot of people uh, – Bo, get off track because they think of real estate as a transactional business, and it's not. It's a relationship business. Because like you said, you can pick up the phone right now. Uh, you got a water line that just broke. Your, your tenant just called you. Your contractor is on his way sometime today, right? And I can't do that because I don't have the relationship. And if I nickel and dimed that contractor and I made sure that I put the screws to him and wanted to see the receipts and verified, he's not going to do that either. The reality is also the if you let the whole reason, I don't know if anybody realizes this, but everybody is in the business to make money, right? And when you start screwing with my money and start questioning my expertise, then I'm going to go find somebody that does it. Not because I'm better than that and not because you don't deserve that. It's all about how you make everybody feel in the transaction. Dude, I really appreciate your expertise. This looks like a great price. I do have a couple of questions about maybe a different brand of cabinets. Is there something else out there? Is there a reason why you've picked these ones? Those are great ways to ask that question without ticking everybody off, you know? But I, I love it. And, and especially coming from somebody that has looked at the numbers and has looked at the human capital that he's working with, right? And says, man, I can do this the easy way or the hard way. And it might cost me a couple of bucks at the end, but my phone call is going to get returned. And that's such an important thing to, to, to for everybody that's listening to understand that that is true in my in my opinion that is true business intelligence yeah 100 shannon and now that i have done so many rehabs uh, i've had the pleasure of talking and mentoring other real estate investors i just like to pay it forward so you know yeah. without charging them i take free phone calls and unfortunately i see the same thing it's like hey bo how much do you pay for luxury vinyl plank per square foot installed right 
And I'm like, why are you asking that? Well, I was quoted $4 from this guy and $4.50 from the other guy. And it just blows my mind that, you know, that will be the deterring factor for you to move forward. Because like you said, Shannon, you're going to look at some of the other things like quality, experience, timeliness. Time is money in this business. Yeah. So if one guy takes an extra month when he wasn't supposed to, right, then anything you've gained from that 50 cents uh, per square feet is out the door a long time ago, right? And, and we run into that in the apartment game where, you know, we're anywhere from a thousand to four thousand dollars a day, right? So when we're sitting here dicing over nickels, we need to look at the clock too. And then we need to look at, you know, what is your time worth? You know, this is the thing that a lot of people forget. Bo, you are billable by the hour, right? And if you're on the phone haggling with this guy over 50 cents and, and you probably forgot to leave out that it was only a 200 square foot laundry room. So it was only a hundred dollars difference between the two guys. Right. And the guy spent two days haggling back and forth and, and could have just gone and done an hour's two hours worth of work and build for that and had that, and then had goodwill going forward with the two contractors. Uh, it, it, it would have changed everything, especially when it came down to warranty items later down the road. Right. Yeah. 100%. And, you know, it's hindsight is 2020, but I'm super thankful I had that mentor. I mean, I don't know if I was alone. Um, I would have made the same right relationship moves, like you said, because you don't know what you don't know. So to right. be fair with some of the newer investors, you know, this is your way. This is your message listening to this podcast to not be that investor, right? You, <laughs> right. What, I, <laughs> what I learned from my mentor was that, you know, don't think about what's in it for me, which is what a lot of people think about what's in it for them. You know, if you try to haggle, it's basically taking food off of their table, their kids future, and you're stealing from their, you know, wives, like think of it from that extremity, and it will really change your approach and how you converse with them. You're not going to treat them like your employees or people working for you. You guys are partners in this business. And in, in four to five years, I've done at least 30 to 40 rehabs with the same contractor. It's like, it's amazing what we've been yeah. able to accomplish together. And the reality is that as you do more deals, and I'll tell you from the contractor side, right? As you do more deals, and as I know, I, I had a guy that I used to work for, and he was one of the very first guys I ever worked for, and he was one of the hardest guys to work for. But I got smart at the end, Bo, because I knew the guy was going to grind on me for price. And so I would throw in, on, on, on some of his jobs, I would throw in 15%, right? And in the beginning, I would I, I realized that he would grind out about 12 of that out of me. And I still wound up with another 3%. At the end, it got to the point where I didn't even grind that out. He was my most expensive client that I worked for. He paid more than anybody else did because I knew he was going to be a pain in my butt. And he was always going to try and, and, hey, I found this floor tile over here on, on sale, but it's only enough to do three quarters of it. And we need to do the rest of it out of this. And you know, all those different kinds of things that, that I, I struggled with that he, if he would have realized to leave me alone, he would have paid less. The job would have got done faster. He would have gotten better results, but him being involved cost him all the way around. Right. And I no longer work for the guy. And, and I did tell him at the end how much more he was paying than my other customers because I would, and, and I let him know that as I fired him. Right. And now the guy's out trying to create relationships with other people when if he would have done what you did, 
we would have done, we would still be working together today. He would still know that he's getting a great product. And at the end of the day, it's about him putting the deal into service and getting money off of it that way. And, you know, it would have been a whole different thing. And so I think that, you know, this is applying Zig Ziglar's, uh, you know, quote here that if to get everything you want in life, you got to help everybody else get what they want in life. And this is another thing, Bo, that you, I mean, it doesn't matter how many guests I have on my show. I, I love hearing it where you are saying that you're paying it forward. Somebody paid it forward to you. You're paying it forward. I've never really seen a team sport like, like real estate investing right? Where somebody's willing to give you all the tips and the tricks because you're not necessarily competition because you're not on the same street. You're not the same house. You're not competing for the same tenant. So we can help each other and we can grow like that. And it's amazing to listen to your story as to the intelligence and, and the, and the, I, I, I don't want to call it luck. I want to call it insight that you had to let them make their money because you needed to make the relationship. And that is so important. And I know we keep coming back to it, Bo. I keep hammering on it because I think uh, it's it's one of the things that people overlook the most. Yep. No, and I'll end with this because, you know, <laughs> it looks like we've talked about contractors for a long time and I'm sure our listeners got the point now, but, you know, I just want to say, focus on the big picture. And Shannon mentioned this with the apartments, thousand, $2,000 a day. And you're, you know, arguing over nickels or bargaining over nickels. Same thing. Like if the numbers work for you, don't really worry about the small stuff or what the contractor's making. Heck, you should be happy that the contractor's making a good living off of you. Cause I guarantee you, maybe a wholesaler sends you a smoking deal that you need to close in three days and you need a contractor to put a scope of work together within the next 24 hours. You call that contractor, he's going to be there because he knows he's going to make good money with you. So if your numbers work, if you're able to hit your ARVs and extract your money back out and cash flow well, who cares if that guy makes an extra $5,000 from you? You know, it's a partnership. And guys, you need to understand this is coming from an accountant that said that, right? So, I mean, it really means it's true. He's got a degree that says it's true. So, so hone in on that. So I'm going to jump to a couple of my questions here. And since we've, we've already established one of the three, but, but I'm going to ask you, what are the most, the top three skills that you need to have to be a successful real estate entrepreneur? And I think the number one, one that you've hammered on is putting together a good team. Yes. 100%. You're only as good as your team, especially if you're investing remotely, but even if you're local, you know, my thing is this, like, let's just say I'm investing in my backyard 40 minutes away. You're not going to want to check on your real estate investment every weekend. That's not the way to truly be a investor. You're going to just be a that, business owner. For, you didn't say that, Bo, where you said, hey, honey, let's go for a drive. I want to check on the job site. That's exactly. Only work once and then she wasn't getting in the car anymore, huh? <laughs> yeah. It's like, hey, why do we keep coming back to the same neighborhood every weekend, right? <laughs> Honey, I've already seen it. I, and I hear that from my wife too. You know, we built that building. Yes, I know. You say that every time we drive down this road. <laughs> <laughs> I know I would be like that if I had properties in my backyard. I would probably go check it out every week, right? So, yeah. yeah. So, so build so a strong team. The other things. You, so you got your team. What else you got? What are your top, you know, the top two skills? You know, this might be a little bit intangible for some of the newer investor, but communication is so, so, so important. And we kind of talked about how you should treat people and how you should talk to people, um, what's in it for them. That's really important, but also just doing what you say you're going to do um, and on time is 
the best thing that you can do as an investor. So let me give you concrete examples. When you're working with an agent, you tell them exactly what you're looking for. And I'm not saying that's a hard line in the sand. You can adjust it, right? If you say you're going to look at this neighborhood or homes in a hundred to $200,000 range, you can very well change that criteria. But if the agent or broker brings you a deal that fits that criteria, you better make an offer or you better act on it and let them know feedback wise why you're not going to pursue that property or that prop person is going to feel like they waste their time, right? Time yep. is money for them. They work on commission. So if you say you're going to buy something at this criteria, they work so hard to bring it to you and you don't take action or you don't respond in two days because work got busy, then you're not ready to be an investor. And I see this time and time again with newer investor who have a W-2 job and trying to do this on the side. That's a huge mistake because you're going to cut out one of the core members of your team who could bring you thousands and thousands of dollars of equity. Yeah. So that's one. You know, that's a great point. That's a great point. So how can how can a new investor get started in real estate? I mean, you 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 outlined a lot of that, but I think the thing that that you kind of maybe it has to do with your logical personality with being an accountant that you just systematically eliminated it. So it brought you to the answer that you could not not invest. Right. But how does how does one really take the action to do it? I mean, there's all the analysis, right? And we hear about analysis paralysis and we see everybody, a lot of people do it. But what is it, Bo, that really it comes down to it? You've proven the theory. You've watched the other people prove the theory. What is it that happens in that moment that makes it so that Bo buys real estate? Yeah, so I, I would say I'll break it down into two different parts. And I see this all the time. So, so quick story time. When I first started Five years ago, I went to a meetup on Bigger Pockets and it was in San Diego. And I'm living in Los Angeles. San Diego is still two hours away. And I decided to make the trip down there to meet other people buying turnkey properties. And once I joined the meetup, I was hooked. I, I told myself I'm going to buy it and I was committed. Well, there was a gentleman next to me. He and I were about the same age. We were just fresh out of college. And he was like, hey, are you going to buy that property? And I was like, are you going to buy that property? And we're looking to buy our first rental property. And, you know, fast four or five years, like I'd, I didn't keep up with him, but it's funny through a mutual friend of ours, he was also in accounting. He reached out to me on LinkedIn and he's like, Hey Bo, like, did you do any real estate investing? And I was like, yeah, I have 65 units. Uh, did you ever start? And he's like, no, I'm still thinking about it. And yeah. that just blew my mind away. You know, he was really stuck in that analysis paralysis and I'm not saying I'm any better. But what I did was I continued to educate myself. And once I eliminated a lot of that fear, because fear comes from the unknown. So the education, the mentorship from other people, a couple steps ahead of me, dispelled a lot of those fears. And once that risk was reduced to an acceptable level, because you can't eliminate the risk. All you can do is reduce the risk. Once right. it's to an acceptable level, it'd be like, hey, remote real estate investing 2,000 miles away from a city that I've never heard of. Well, other people have done it for 20, 30, 40 years. They have teams in place. Here's the proof of concept. Here's the scalability. I'm going to take that dive. If it doesn't work out, I've lost $20,000, but I tried. But what if it does work out? What's the price of inaction? You got to think about that. Not what the price of action is and losing your $20,000. You can make that back. You're, you, you know, 
for those of you that are relatively young as well, or if you're older, maybe you still, maybe you're in your 40s and 50s, you still have 10, 20 years left to go until retirement in the traditional sense, right? But what if you start real estate investing, you can collapse that down in half. That's the price of inaction that not a lot of people talk about. You know, and, and that is such a great point that you bring up. And here's, here's the way that I look at it, right? Especially with someone like yourself. You spent more than $20,000 to get an education that allowed you to do what you do, right? You invested in yourself and there was no proof of concept there, right? In fact, if you ask some of your aunts and uncles, they would say, oh, I don't know if Bo's going to do that. I remember when he was a little kid and he wouldn't finish his dinner or he wouldn't do his chores or all those things that everybody reminds you of in your life, right? But there is that proof of concept because you did spend the money. You invested it in yourself. You then followed through. You now have the degree. You are now working in that field and you have done all those things and you have proved to yourself. So if you can prove that, you can prove that this other one will work too, right? And, and it's so funny because a lot of people that, that are often, I find, that wind up with the analysis paralysis are often more educated formally than those of us that just finished high school, barely. You know, I think I was ushered out of high school. My, my PhD is a public high school diploma, and I think they gave that away to one lucky guy that they didn't want to see back next year, and that was me, right? And I, and, and, but that's, that's the reality, right? is that a lot of times we overanalyze to the point that we don't move. And it's so amazing that you know the guy that you met at that meetup that's 60, now he's 64 doors behind you. And that was how many years ago? Five years ago? Five, yeah, five years ago. So if you could put on 65 doors and you put on, how many doors did you put on the last 12 months? Oh, about 20. Okay. So you put on 20 in the last 12 months. How many did you put on the first 12 months? Four. Okay, so see where I'm going with this? You are doing five times the real estate. So in another five years, you're not gonna be putting on 20 doors a year. You're gonna be putting on 100 doors a year. And this chucklehead is maybe gonna get started. If he does what he did for the last five years, he'll be doing that for the next 45 years and begging somebody to take care of him in retirement. So it's so funny that you have that example for my listeners. That is awesome, that is awesome. Uh, I've got another question for you here. Uh, how can you advise my listeners on how to choose the right real estate model? Yeah. So in terms of different strategies, it's a tough one. I, I think I can almost relate it to maybe dating or, you know, finding new friends, right? You got to really do a internal look at yourself. What kind of person am I? Who do I fit well with? Who do I enjoy spending time with? You know, when you're making new friends, there are certain people who really, after you hang out with them for a couple, um, you know, hours, you feel invigorated, you feel energized. There's other people where you feel drained and you're like, oh, I, I kind of want to go home now, right? Yes. So it, yeah, in the same manner with real estate investing, what kind of investor are you? Are you looking for cash flow? Are you looking for chunks of money, like doing a fix and flip? Um, are you looking to be an Airbnb host? There's right. pros and cons to everything. And you really have to just make a list and adjust your game plan. You got to have flexibility to know yourself and be like, hey, I tried this out, but I don't really like it. Airbnb, I make a lot of money, but every time I get a negative review, it just ruins my day. It ruins my weekend. Then maybe that's not it for you. You're too emotionally involved. But rental properties, I'm able to build equity. It's for the long haul. And I see the appreciation over a long period of time. I think this is the one for me. So that's how I approached it. 
I made a list of all the different ways that you can do it. You know, my friends also asked me, hey, Bo, you, you have this experience. Why don't you get into multifamily and apartment syndications, things like that? And like I personally, that. you know, don't want to deal with bigger multifamily and all of the other things that come with it. You know, I, I see the pros and cons of doing syndication, but that's personally not it for me. But Shannon, you're great at it, right? So it works for you. And you've mentioned earlier, you don't like doing rehabs. You did it once. It doesn't work for you. So that's how you got to approach it, in my opinion. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's the perfect answer because there is no perfect. There is no one strategy that works, right? If, if you're not that guy, great. Try something else. You know, I have... I can honestly say that every single strategy that anybody wants to come up with, I've already done it, right? Not because I'm smarter than that and not because it doesn't, it's not a good strategy. It just doesn't fit me, right? So I, I think that's a perfect answer. Uh, but, you know, I got, I got one last question for you before we wrap up here. And, you know, what is, what is the last 12 months done to your investment strategy? I mean, when we talk about it, you just mentioned you, you closed on 12. 20 houses in the last 12 months. That's that's prime COVID season. Uh, you're, you're in a state of California that uh, has probably had one of the most strict lockdowns uh, out there. Uh, you were investing in another uh, area. Indianapolis had a pretty strict lockdown as well. How did you get that to work? And what was the change that you're going to carry forward from this last 12 month experience? Because everybody's still trying to figure that out. Yeah, there's a couple of different lessons that I've learned. And, you know, I'll start off by saying this quote, success is where hard work meets opportunity. So last year, I think it was the biggest, almost wealth transfer in history. And it continued a little bit into Q1 of this year as well. Whether you invest in stocks or real estate, everything has just appreciated so much. And, you know, we can get into the politics of if it's the Fed money printing and all of that jazz. But... If you were ready, if you had a team in place, if you knew where to invest, if you knew where to look, simply you throw a dart and you made money last year. I, I could pretty much guarantee that. And I've had, <laughs> you know, lots of friends money, make money in the stock market. For me, it was real estate. So I bought most of those 20 units in the first two quarters of last year. And, you know, I started doing fix and flips starting Q2 of last year, which I still do today. I only did buy and hold rentals. And then I started doing fix and flips when COVID hit. And the reason why was I saw a pattern. Now I saw people actually, interestingly enough, wanting to buy, you know, primary residences after COVID hit. And it was probably correlated that they're maybe working from home and they had more money to, at their disposal because not, they're not going on vacations, going out to eat and all of that stuff. So I wanted my target to be the retail buyer now. So, so far I've done six flips and fix and flips starting from last year and I'm continuing, I'm on track to do 10 this year and I want to grow that part of the business because I, you know, buying rental properties uh, and apartments as I'm sure you know, is very capital intensive and I right. love getting, you know, 30 to $50,000 per flip continuously. And when I see the right opportunity, Right now, everything's so inflated with buy and hold rentals. The cash flow doesn't make sense, even in the Midwest for my taste. I'm not buying right now. I've already bought my stuff and I'm just waiting. And in that duration, I'm not going to take, you know, I'm just not going to just sit back in the sidelines and do nothing. I'm looking at the market. I'm like, hey, the rent to price value ratio is not great, but the equity is super high. So I'm going to sell to retail buyers. 
So that's what I'm going to okay. continue to do. That's awesome. Well, Bo, uh, where can where can all of my listeners find you in the great wide world of the internet and out there in sunny California? Yeah. So the best way to get a hold of me is on Instagram. So my handle is Bigger Cash Flow. And I also have a website, www.biggercashflow.com, where I write blog posts. I also host a podcast of the same name. And I just really try to provide value to other people because, you know, I've benefited from other people who helped me along the way and that mentor that I told you about. So if I can be of any value to your listeners, please don't hesitate to reach out. That's fantastic, Bo. And as you guys have figured out, Bo knows bigger cash flow. That's for sure. So thanks for tuning in with us guys today and, and Bo Kim for stopping by. It, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to the Real Estate Rundown on Podchaser, Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcast. Bo's out there as well. Follow him on Instagram or Facebook. But uh, if you want to leave us an update or a uh, a like. We'd love the feedback. We always love hearing from you guys. We do this, Bo and I do this kind of stuff because we want to bring uh, education to people. We want people to understand what's going on. So thanks again, Bo, for stopping by the Real Estate Rundown. Guys, we'll see you next time.